I've listened to Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me on the other end of the mic is Connor. Here I am on the other end of the mic. Here you are. Wanted dead or alive. That's right. You sure are. Let me ask you a question. Are you slippery when you're wet? No. That's a pretty weird question. (laughs) It's a really weird question. I had to take a moment to digest that one. I guess... Yeah, I guess that's like the normal way to be when you're wet, though, right? Nobody's slippery when dry. I don't. Yeah, sure there are. You've never like been on like a floor that's like, oh, this floor's kind of slippery. It's like been polished or you know coated in something that makes it slippery. No, you're right. Yeah. I mean, what like ice skating rinks and roller rinks? They're slippery and they're dry. Okay, but I would argue that an ice skating rink is like kind of wet. Ah, no, it's dry. It's made of water. It's of dry water. It's. We're not going <laughs> to get into that. We're not going to debate whether ice is dry water. I think we are. Eh, no, because there's dry ice. Like, dry ice is a thing. Yeah, but, I mean, dry that's a bit of a misnomer name. Yeah, but dry ice implies that normal ice is wet ice. No, it doesn't, because the term dry ice is a misnomer. Well, either way, Bon Jovi is slippery when they're wet. Probably not when they're dry. Yeah, it's probably one of those social diseases they got. <laughs> I guess. Ah, I'm excited for this album. We got more glam metal to talk about, more arena rock. It's been a while. I only had one problem with this album. You did. Are we going to get to know what it is right now? Yeah, sure, why not? Okay. And that was that not all of my favorite Bon Jovi songs were on it. (laughs) Not all of them, but I bet most of them. Several of them. Several, Uh, yeah. I'd also be willing to bet another several are on their sequel album to this, New Jersey. I've always kind of considered them sister albums. But between those two, I mean, you've got a really strong grasp on Bon Jovi. Yeah. So you know a lot of Bon Jovi then. Oh, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. For once, I'm prepared for you to know this. (laughs) Is there anything on this album that surprised you that you didn't know? Or were you 10 for 10? Pretty much 10 for 10. I mean, there were some deeper cuts, but I was like, oh, I haven't heard this in forever. But yeah, I pretty much knew them all. Okay, well, that's solid. What are the odds that you've ever listened to all of them in order at some point? Never. Never? Oh, okay. I just mean, like, maybe there have been other tracks in between, but do you think... Oh, okay, with other tracks in between? Uh, still probably never. Well, there's a non-zero chance that you've heard this album before just really spaced out. What do you know about Bon Jovi? What don't I know? What don't you know? <laughs> probably a little bit. Uh, I know that we're finally getting out of our California phase uh, this week and moving across the country to New Jersey. That's right. Sayreville, New Jersey is where Bon Jovi's from. We did Young the Giant was from California. Santana was from San Santan Francisco. What did you say? <laughs> there was a joke in there. Frantana San Tancisco. I don't remember. Santan Frisco. Santan Frisco. That's what it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, I might forget the joke, but I'll never forget where Santana's from. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're moving coast to coast to Sayreville, New Jersey. Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi, the man, not Bon Jovi, the band. A.K.A. John Francis Bon Jovi Jr.? Yeah, Jr. Yeah, his real name is Bon Jovi, like very Italian. B-O-N-G-I-O-V-I, Bon Jovi. His father is Italian, and his surname is from Sicily. Whoa, Never. I didn't see that curveball coming. Yeah, I know, real curveball that John Bon Jovi Sr. Is, is Italian, yeah. It's a pretty cool name, especially when you turn it into Bon Jovi, which is an abbreviation that's kind of inspired by 
All those three-letter band name trends, you know, like Led Zeppelin, Van Halen, and so on. You've seen it a million times. Name another. The Beatles. Another. I can just name the bands if you're going to count that. I'm not going to count it. Name another one. <laughs> what did I? Def Leppard is one that came later. They came after Bon Jovi did. So Bon Jovi wasn't inspired by Def Leppard, but I'm just saying they're they're part of that trend. I'll allow it. Yeah. It's a cool band name, I got to say. Other rejected names for this band include things like Johnny Electric. Ew. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what kind of a name that is. I don't like it for this kind of music. Johnny Electric? Hmm. But John Bon Jovi, the guy, starts playing and performing with his band Rays in 1975 at the age of 13. Just a kid. Yeah. A few years later, he picked up keyboardist David Bryan. By 1980, they were getting their first taste of recording music because John's cousin, Tony Bon Jovi, also a very Italian name, he owned a recording studio in Manhattan. And John had a part-time job there where he could learn all the ropes of recording and that side of the business. So during his time hanging out there, he cut a few demos. He even had some professionally produced by the likes of Billy Squire, which is really cool. Some of his demos actually started to get radio play. Some of the early days songs. In particular, a little song you Bon Jovi fans out there might already know called Runaway started to take off in 1983. It started out in New York, but it really quickly expanded over state lines into other states. And Bon Jovi realized, maybe we better get a proper band together. David Bryan says, don't worry, I'm on it. I got your back. So he calls up bassist Alex Such and drummer Tico Torres, who were a part of a band called, you'll like this, The Phantom's Opera. Why would I like that? Well, because <laughs> I guess I guess the mixtaper would like that. You seem to be interested in Phantom of the Opera. I, I like it too. I like it too. Big fan of musicals. Big fan of the fan of, uh, of the opera. But uh, yeah, thanks for just rubbing it in my face that he stole that episode from me. He didn't steal it. You were at ConCon. Yeah. Well, I didn't give him permission to take my spot on the podcast. Okay, fair. Well, those two joined Bon Jovi and David Bryan up. It's a four-person band, and they briefly picked up future Skid Row guitarist Dave Sabo before discovering an awesome guitarist in New Jersey local Richie Sambora. He was already playing professionally in the band's Mercy and Message. He was touring with Joe Cocker, and he even had the chance to audition for Kiss. Think about all the merchandise they could have made with him. Yeah, and then all the Richie Sambora merch. Kissy Sambora. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't like that. I like that less than Johnny Electric. <laughs> I wonder what his um, what his Kiss persona would have been. That's a good question. Maybe he would have been the egg. The egg, yes. Also, fun fact, David Bryan actually quit the band. He had a couple different changes of heart and career ambitions while he was in this era. Did he get shot through it? He didn't get shot through the heart. No, he just changed his mind. <laughs> oh, okay. That means that you're not to blame. No, he's still giving love a good name, I, I guess. Wow, but wow. first, David Bryan... Sorry. The guitar solo. <laughs> so first, David Bryan leaves to study medicine. He says, I want to be a doctor. He wants to give people good medicine, unlike your love, which is bad medicine. For all their social diseases. Sorry, that's from New Jersey. That's, that's not even from the album we're talking about. After he decides he wants to be a doctor, he says, no, you know what? I want to be a musician, but I want to be a really good classically trained musician. So oh. he went to Juilliard to study music, but then he heard that Bon Jovi was like on the verge of a record deal. You know, the band was very successful and on the cusp. And so he's like, take me back, please. He said, please. Yeah, I'll do anything, especially rejoin the band. <laughs> In fact, that's kind of like the main thing I'm asking for to do. Right. So he did come back into the band and 
That formed a lineup that would last until Such left the band in 1994. And aside from Richie Sambora's 2013 departure, the rest of them still play together to this day. So to recap, the Bon Jovi we're talking about today is John Bon Jovi, David Bryan, Richie Sambora, Tico Torres, and Alan Such. Also, also there are rumors today that Richie Sambora might rejoin the band at some point, but there's, you know, no concrete evidence. So stay tuned, I guess. Not to us. We probably won't say anything about it unless we do. I'm going to say nothing except that. I'm just going to spread that rumor around. Every single person I talk to, I'm like, hey, did you hear there's a rumor? Did you hear Richie Sambora's coming back? And they'll be like, who? Coming back to what? And then you'll have to explain everything. And, and I won't. I'll just leave it at that. I'll just say, I'll just walk up to him and go, he's back. And He's back. That's all the context they get. That's all the context they need. So the band, all of them now, are gigging around, and they get noticed and signed to Mercury Records. And they pick up a manager in Doc McGee, who also, by the way, managed Motley Crue, Kiss, and eventually Hootie and the Blowfish. What a diverse array of artists. And so many three-letter bands. Yeah, yeah, so many. Look, they're not all three-letter name tropes, just some. Their first record was self-titled, and it was propelled by that already-a-hit debut single, Runaway. The Bon Jovi album came out in 1984. Their second record, 7,800 Degrees Fahrenheit, dropped a year later in 85. It was solid. It hit number 37 on the charts, but they said, you know what? How can we do better? How can we improve our craft we want to make really good records so they bring in a professional call out the big guns they recruit desmond child into the songwriting fold dude looks like a lady okay yeah you're hinting at things i'm about to talk about we have talked about desmond child before it's been a minute but yes highlights from his songwriting career include for aerosmith dude looks like a lady angel what it takes and crazy I mean, a couple of those we talked about early on this podcast. Yeah. Also, Joan Jett's I Hate Myself for Loving You, How Can We Be Lovers by Michael Bolton, Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin, one of our 90s singles. Inside, inside out, live in La Vida Loca. Yeah, he also has songs for Cher. He's been the secret protagonist of the podcast, it sounds like. He's been hiding in the shadows writing a lot of really good songs. He's been there my whole life, I just didn't know it. It's been Desmond Child and Lil Wayne supporting me behind the scenes all along. One's a devil and one's an angel on my on my uh, shoulder. Ooh. Desmond Child gets to be the angel since he wrote that song. Since he wrote the song Angel? Yeah. I like it. He's also got songs for Cher, Kiss, Bonnie Tyler, Alice Cooper, Hanson, Dream Theater, Jesse McCartney, Selena Gomez, Weezer, Marcus King. You get it. A lot of people. That doesn't surprise me because doesn't Cher's career kind of intertwined with Bon Jovi's? Yeah, uh, Bon Jovi produced Cher's 1987 album. Oh, well, small world. <laughs> See, I know. See, what don't, what don't I know about Bon Jovi? See? What don't you know? You know so much. All of it about Bon Jovi. <laughs> So Desmond Child was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2008, and frankly, I'm surprised it took them that long to put him there. So this certified hitmaker goes to work on Bon Jovi's third album, and he helps them create four tracks in album order, You Give Love a Bad Name, Living on a Prayer, Without Love, and I Die for You. They did a lot of their songwriting together in Richie Sambora's mom's basement, which I just think is an interesting fact. There are also a lot of different stories behind this album, aside from Desmond Child and the extra songwriting help. Slippery When Wet, it's a storied record. The band ran off to Vancouver, Canada to write and record the album. They wrote 30 songs together 
and then they shopped them around to test groups of teens, basically constructed this album, and decided what they were going to keep via focus group. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't think we've talked about another album like that. It's definitely unusual, very clinical approach, but very effective for what they got here. They started putting together the record's aesthetics, right, based around the song Wanted Dead or Alive, which actually ended up being one of the album's working titles. They almost called it that. They even did an album cover photo shoot with the band dressed as cowboys, but that was not working out great. They didn't love it. They weren't sure what to do in the meantime. But while they're thinking about it, they stopped by a strip club in Vancouver, and they came up with this phrase that they really liked, slippery when wet. Boom. Album title. Isn't that like what the signs always say on like bridges? Like caution, yeah. slippery when wet or whatever. Bridges and patios and yeah. I don't know, other things that are not normally slippery. but Or like the, usually like there's those two like slippery when wet and like freezes before roads or whatever is like what the bridge will always warn you. That's true. I don't know if this album freezes before roads or not, but it is slippery when wet. Only one way to find out. Freeze it? Yeah, I mean, stick it outside next to the road this coming winter. See which one frozes first. Freeze it and the road at the same time. I like it. So, Slippery When Wet comes out in 1986, and it's a pretty pivotal album. It's kind of a gap bridger, right? Reviews at the time said it, quote, turned heavy metal into a radio-friendly pop format. People were really eating it up, and it was, at that time, pretty unlike anything the general public had heard too much of. It spent eight weeks at number one in the U.S. It ended up being not only the best-selling album of 1987, but also the best-selling album of Bon Jovi's entire career, and with its certification of 12 times platinum, it's roughly the 48th best-selling album in the United States ever, which is... That's a distinction that not many albums get. In fact, only one album gets it. Only one album gets to be 48th. Fair enough. Also, there's a ton of other albums on the top selling albums in the U.S. list you might recognize. Michael Jackson's Thriller, Eagles Hotel California, and their greatest hits album. Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, Pink Floyd's Dark Side, Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell. Who is Meatloaf? How did he do this? I just need to (laughs) reemphasize. Like, what? How does Meatloaf... Okay, Meatloaf have one of the best-selling albums in the United States of all time. Right next to the Beatles. Yeah, the Beatles' Abbey Road is on that list. Phil Collins' No Jacket Required, Nevermind by Nirvana, Oops, I Did It Again by Britney Spears, Billy Joel's The Strangers, Easy Top's Eliminator, Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder. We've done a lot of those. We've done a lot of those. Spin it. We've gotten around. Sounds like coming up, we're doing a Britney Spears episode. Well, I mean, we talked about her on the singles episode, too. She was there along with Cher. And, oh, that's true. Yeah, and Meatloaf himself. The man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> America's favorite hero, Meatloaf. The man, the myth, the Meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Slippery when wet. Like I said, it's, it's a hit at home, but it's also a hit abroad. It charted in Australia, Austria, Canada, Finland, Germany, Greece, Japan, New Zealand, Norway, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, the UK, and more all over the place. This is a hit. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame put Slippery When Wet at number 44 on their list of the definitive 200 albums of all time, and it's consistently included in the lists of must-know glam metal, hair metal records. So really, what I'm trying to say is Bon Jovi blows it out of the water with Slippery When Wet, and then they do it again, back-to-back. 1988's New Jersey, that we've already mentioned a little tiny bit, it's similarly huge. It broke the record for the most top 10 singles to come from a single hard rock album with five. It's got hits like I'll Be There For You, Bad Medicine, Blood On Blood, Stick To Your Guns. It's an absolutely incredible pair of back-to-back albums. Probably two of the best consecutive releases in the entire 
genre of glam metal, I think. I, I really feel like you'd be hard-pressed to top Slippery When Wet in New Jersey. But with that success, you know, almost two years of high-intensity touring and album promotion really drained the band and they decided to take a little break before cleaning house on the administrative side you know kind of gutting their front office so to speak and then in 1992 they decided to get back into the swing of things and you know like we mentioned they're still going strong to date the band has put out 15 studio albums and they've gone on 19 different tours but sadly alan such passed away of a heart attack in july 2022 so the whole band will never get back together again but like we said richie samboras teased his return he will return some would say he's back oh he's back that's right that's what you're trying to i forgot he will return is probably a more accurate statement so i guess i'll change it up to that yeah Okay. All the people already said he's back to, they'll just be confused. Right. Career-wide, Bon Jovi has 25 awards on 65 nominations, including two American Music Awards, a Billboard Music Award, six Billboard Touring Awards, two Country Music Television Awards, two CMT Awards. They were for collaborative videos with Jennifer Nettles and Leanne Rimes. That's interesting. The band also has a Grammy, once again in the country genre, in 2007. They've been nominated for nine Grammys, and the one that they won was for country music. (laughs) It's bizarre. They also have two MTV Video Music Awards and plenty more. In 2018, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and that is it for me. I hope you're ready for some Factor Spin, because I know I might be. You hope you are. I hope I am. Yeah, while you, Connor, may not not know much about Bon Jovi, I do. What a weird... Hold on. You do not not know much? No, I do not know much. Oh, oh, okay. But you may not... You may not not know much, but I do not know much. Oh, well, good luck then. The double negatives are really... (laughs) getting to me right there yeah before before they get any more negative i'm gonna skedaddle bring on in the mixtaper okay hey three negatives make a positive unless you're adding them that hurts me in my soul that, that hurts me in my soul or multiplying them i guess three negatives make a, a negative if you're multiplying. correct that's why i said that hurts me i was i was getting there well i just in terms <laughs> the, of the stem major in me really uh died a little right there <laughs> it's a reason we have a math department made of squirrels and that they're better than us. It's really just in knots. It really just works in words. Not, not, not is yes. Is it? But in no other sense are three negatives. No, it's no. Yeah. <laughs> we just need to get back to the positives. One yes. One. Yeah. Oh, or I guess it should have well, been one. That was it for fact. <laughs> See? Now you, got, you even got me all confused. Well, if you say yeah again, that's the double negative. Oh, I got to do another now. Nah, hang on. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There, it's a double now. Nah. <laughs> Two yes is an A. It's me. <laughs> Whatever. Well, welcome to the podcast, Mixtaper. Hello. Are you ready for some facts? I'm ready for some supposedly true facts. Yeah. Last week, we had that awesome all-fact week pretty great yeah this week i'm looking forward to your all spins week to balance it out oh oh yeah all spins week Mm -hmm. go ahead and hit me with a number slippery when spun oh for some reason my brain when it heard you say slippery when and then heard us it went to sweat just put an s in front of wet slippery when sweat (laughs) i mean sweat is just nah that sentence was not gonna end anywhere good Man, hit me with a number. Let's start with number three, because that's um, the track number of Living on a Prayer. And I think I'm living on a prayer today. The band has an interesting corporate structure. 
first of all, I want to clarify that I really don't think too many corporate structures are awfully interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe they have a unique one, sure. Well, so like I talked about, they did kind of clean administrative house for a while there. What's the corporate structure of the band? Because I don't know. I just don't know. Bon Jovi owns the band. See, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, I know that they wanted to be a band and kind of, you know, it's not just Bon Jovi the guy that you go to see. Like, when you think about Bon Jovi, yeah, maybe you think of John Bon Jovi the guy, but you really think of Bon Jovi the band. Yeah. So, he's the owner, huh? Yeah. How and why? What does he own? What does that entail? Everything. He's He makes all decisions for the band. He owns it and his band members are actually his employees. Ooh, that's weird. He, he pays them. How did they decide? <laughs> this and why is this like a tax loophole thing no he just wanted it was to make business management easier and less gray just if there was one person making all the decisions and one voice for everything it would eliminate some potential fighting or well i mean no doubt look at that i mean that happened to the beatles and the eagles and yes and like all these bands broke up because of administrative issues and the you know the beach boys have had plenty of post break up things like i get that wanting to simplify things what makes the rest of the other band members go along with this that doesn't sound very fun to me if i'm like a member of bon jovi i don't know like if i've been a founder in there since the beginning or a long time like surely i want some say in this i want some stake i'm I'm sure their opinions are you know taken with great consideration i doubt doesn't like ask for their opinion he doesn't act unilaterally yeah right Sure, Tyrant King Bon Jovi. But at the end of the day, you know, he's the one making all the decisions, not some third-party manager, not some, not like the band is a collective, it's him. It's him. Okay, that is interesting. Is this the way they've always done it, or was there a change at some point? Uh, I think that's pretty much how it's always been. When uh, Back to when you got the band named after him, he also made sure he was the owner. He's the guy. Okay, I think I'm going to say that this one is a fact. This feels true to me. True fact on an All Spins Week. Well... When you put it like that, yeah, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to stick to my guns. All right. Some will love and some will curse me, baby. But I'm going for the trigger only if I have to. This is a fact. This is a fact. It's a fact. How'd that get in there? How'd that? Yeah, somebody mixed up the note cards. Oh, you know, that's what happened, Remember, Because last week, some some spins made it into the all facts week. Oh. They just they got swapped. That's what happened. Oh, man. <laughs> that's right. This fact about Bon Jovi was supposed <laughs> to go in the, in the Young the Giant episode. Must be it. Must be it. So what you're trying to tell me is that Bon Jovi once picked up a car and moved it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's my next fact. Bon Bon Jovi's the one that can flick their tongue. They're the ones that do the scorpion butt dance. Okay. It all makes sense. That's what you take from this. I won't stop you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, since that was such a success, I'm going to no longer live in a prayer. I'm going to take number one for track one, and I'm going to let it rock. Well, uh, let's just say he recorded his first song a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Another Star Wars fact? Yeah. John Bon Jovi recorded his very first song. His first official recording. A long time. Oh, how do you mean? It was his first official like recording with record producer Mecco at Tony's record studio. Yeah, but what's that have to do with Star Wars? Uh, it was the song he recorded was a Star Wars song. It was a st- <laughs> not like a song for Star Wars or something, right? No. Just a song that he wrote about Star Wars. Oh, he didn't write it. He just recorded it. What was the song? R2D2's "We Wish You a Merry Christmas" from the Star Wars Christmas special. 
What? Yeah, we talked about the Star Wars Christmas special back on our Spinter Wonderland year one uh, Spinter Wonderland yes. singles episode. Yeah, with Good Night But Not Goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye But Not Good Night. The one that Bette Midler sang to all the drunk aliens. <laughs> really interesting. <laughs> yeah, you watched the Star Wars Christmas special, right? Or did you only watch? Actually, I've never seen the whole thing. I've seen. Did you not watch it? No, I've oh. seen bits and pieces, but okay, not all of it. So R2-D2 sings or beeps. It's just a we wish you a Merry Christmas but it's like spoken through r2d2's droid language so it's like a bunch of beeps and boops beeps and boops what's he record is he recording instruments to this yeah and is is it the official thing that comes out on the record no okay just a cover i think so i don't think it's the why? official one i guess i should have checked i just assumed it wasn't why considering it was just being done in tony's record record studio and it was like the first thing he ever did i just assumed it wasn't like the official one the official star wars <laughs> well but why else would he make this what's the appeal just because why not i can think of a few reasons but he's not doing the beeps and boops right where do those come from and also if he's not doing beeps and boops why isn't this just a cover of we wish you a merry christmas why is it specifically the r2d2 one i do not have that information for you that is so what is this <laughs> that's why i think it has to be the real thing right i don't know here, hang on. I'll do a quick Google to put your, your, your mind at ease. I don't know if it will. Oh, my gosh. What? Oh, my gosh. Yeah? <laughs> Sounds like there is something you didn't know about Bon Jovi. Yeah, this is on the Star Wars themed Christmas album. and The real one. Yeah, and it was written by Mecco and produced through... What? Hang on. What? Yeah, Mecco wrote R2-D2, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, and that Bon Jovi recorded it and also wrote The Odds Against Christmas. Is that another song on the same album? I don't know. Does Bon Jovi have two cuts on the Star Wars Christmas special record? According to the uh, to this article, Ultimate Classic Rock, the song R2-D2, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, was written by Mecco. Huh. The album was notable for featuring the first professional recording of John Bon Jovi, credited as John Bon Jovi, his birth name, who sang lead vocals on the song. No, Peter, you're not telling me he sang the beeps and boops. Well, uh, there's so I think there must be some. At, hang on, that's I'm just telling you what this is saying. Okay, I I don't know. Let's pause. I'm gonna lock in fact. I guess this you've you've swayed me with your lack of knowledge. Ironically, I mean, how mad are you gonna be when I tell you this is a spin and I made all this up? Well, that'd be that'd be pretty disheartening. But I do. I feel in fact I. I'm going to stick to my guns again. I guess that's the only Bon Jovi joke I can make about locking in a fact. Either way. Man, yeah, this is a true fact. Wild. Wild in the streets. I am on the Wikipedia article for Christmas in the Stars, the Star Wars Christmas album, produced in 1980. And it says, this album is notable for featuring the first professional recording of John Bon Jovi, credited as John Bon Jovi, his birth name, who sang lead vocals on the song R2-D2, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Oh. His cousin Tony Bongiovi co-produced the album and ran the recording. Wait, what? Go ahead. It might not be R2-D2 singing We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Based on that title, maybe it's us wishing R2-D2 a Merry Christmas. I could have sworn it was a bunch of droids. Maybe we're telling him. But maybe there's some, I don't know. Let me finish this. His cousin, Tan Bongiovi, co-produced the album and ran the recording studio at which it was recorded, where John was working sweeping floors at the time. That's wild. That is. Let's listen to it and find out. There's definitely beep boops in it. I've pulled it up. Yeah, this is the part I remember. Okay, it is people singing to R2-D2. Huh, this is wild. That's him. There he is. Yeah. Wow! I'm blown away. Yeah, this is 
I, you got blown away by your own facts. <laughs> yeah, that's what I get for just assuming it wasn't the real one and just a cover. <laughs> well, the cover thing didn't make any sense. And I, to, to be fair, the real one doesn't make any sense either. I just thought, you know, it came out around here and like he was a big fan of it for some reason. It was just like he knew it for like he practiced it. I don't I just figured. Big fan of that? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Wow. That's wild. Unreal. Well, wow, that's a that's a an interesting fact. Well, consider me impressed. Blown away. Blown away indeed. All right. Well, I feel like you're leaning towards spin on that one until I shocked myself with that Google. That's what changed <laughs> my mind. Wow. Well, I guess uh, well, let's move on to the social disease track. Let's pick number four. He founded a professional sports team. Founded? That's a wow. What kind of sport? What's the professional sport in question? A professional football team. Football team? NFL football team? Like that level of professional? Uh, Or are we talking about like another league? No, no. I don't think it was NFL. No. Yeah, they were in the Arena Football League. Oh, okay. An Arena Ball team. What's the team called? The Philadelphia Soul. Okay. And where are they based? Philadelphia. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. An interesting choice. But I, I guess understandable, because, you know, Bon Jovi's a New Jersey guy, and Philadelphia's not far from New Jersey, but it's probably the only place in that realm that's going to be a good arena football market, right? Yeah. Anywhere else you get close to New York, and yeah. Okay, how do you found a professional sports team? Money. Did he get an invitation to help this? Just <laughs> donate? Okay. Uh, no, he was the co-majority owner alongside Craig Spencer. Is that a name I should know? No. Okay. <laughs> Craig Spencer just heard that and scoffed. <laughs> Well, minority owners, Richie Sambora. Oh, I guess he's the boss of him there, too. <laughs> Ron Dorosky, a former QB for the NFL's Philadelphia Eagles, and Leo Carlin Jr. were the minority owners. Is he still an owner of this team in any capacity? No. Oh, he got rid of it. How, how'd that happen? Why? Did he decide he hated football? I guess that's a pretty extreme step to take. But what happened? Well, it was just that um, the, the team suspended operations in 2009. Oh, the team folded. Yeah. Oof, that's rough. So he he, he kind of had it from 2004 to 2008, and then in 2009, the team folded. Okay. But the team came back in 2011, just not with... Oh, with new ownership. Just without Bon Jovi. Right. Okay. I like this one, too. Yeah? Yeah, but I feel like some of these have to be spins. <laughs> I don't think it's this one, though. We're going three facts in a row on the All Spins Week. I think... I think you're all spins week. I think you're missing the point of an all spins week. But yeah, I think this one's true too. This one is a true fan. Oh, oh wow. What a guy. Yeah. I can't believe the same man has played on a Star Wars Christmas album and owned a failing arena football team. He tried to buy the the Buffalo Bills, the NFL's Buffalo Bills. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Philadelphia Eagles. No. Okay, the Buffalo Bills. How'd that not happen? Yeah, Bon Jovi formed another ownership group that tried to purchase the Buffalo Bills, but they were outbid by another group. Wow. Must really like football. Also, apparently his group's tour at the time was the reason he had to decline ownership. Uh, when they came back in 2011. Oh, that's weird. I feel like owning a team probably extends beyond a tour. I don't know. Just didn't have the time for it, I guess. I guess not. Maybe he realized how much it sucked after his team died in five years. Oh. He said never again. <laughs> well, let's see if I'm going to give Factor Spin a bad name. 
with fact number two. They made him an offer he can't refuse. Okay, so this fact has happened once before. Like 30-some episodes ago, on our Elton John episode, you said Elton John would make you an offer that you can't refuse. But really, you only said that because he is the godfather of <laughs> someone's kid. It's like a godfather reference. Is this the same thing as Bon Jovi, someone's godfather? It's a godfather reference, but no. Like, you gotta... You're changing your illusions. Okay, so it's a godfather reference in the title. So Bon Jovi actually was made an offer then. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what was this proposition? So good he couldn't refuse. To voice a character in a video game. Oh. Is it a Godfather video game? It sure is. <laughs> what? Does that exist? Yeah. The the, the video game ver adaptation of the Godfather. Yep. I did not know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. So who made the game? I actually own the game. You own the game? EA made the game. I do. It's a really fun game. Uh, Think like um, GTA, but all themed around like The Godfather. Well, I've heard of like Mafia, but this is obviously different. EA comes up to Bon Jovi and says, hey, we want you to play blank. Al Pacino. I don't know. Marlon Brando. <laughs> no, none of those. Don Jovi. Oh, You're close. Really? <laughs> it's a character named John, spelled J-E-A-N. Bon Jovi, like his last name. Jean Bon Jovi. That's clever. It's also his almost real name. Almost. That's almost a cameo instead of playing a character. That's almost like being in the game as yourself. Uh, it is. It's meant to be a reference to him. That's why they wanted him to play it. Was the character written for him or just written a, like about him and they were like, it'd be awesome if he could play this? I think the latter, as far as I can tell. And it also seems like a pretty small role. Yeah. Given that that's not like a character from the movies, like if you're adapting it into a video game. And so you say he couldn't refuse. He did this? He's in the game? Yep, sure is. Wow. When did the game come out? It was a PS2 game, so uh, 2006. Okay. And you've played it. You. I own it, yeah. You own it. So you've met Jean Bon Jovi. Apparently. What does he do? What's his role? <sighs> Don't know. Wow. Seems like it was very impactful on you. Guess I could look it up. Hang on. Ah, was the manager of the New Jersey National Bank. Oh... Okay, this is hard. I don't know what way to go with this. 2006. Mm -hmm. I think this one is true as well. All facts on an All Spins Week. <laughs> yeah, all facts on an All Spins Week. I think if this one is a spin, I still think, no. I think if this one's a spin, you came up to it because you thought the name Bon Jovi was cool. And you wanted to work it in somewhere. Mm. That wasn't too obvious. You couldn't say it was in the real Godfather. So you had to pivot to the game. Mm. I think if it's a spin, that's probably where you went. But I am still saying fact. This is a spin. Oh, no shutout for you. I almost had my perfect week. It's 100% true, except he didn't voice the character. Ah. The character exists. Ah, that was my other thought. I almost said that if it was a spin, the character existed, and yep. he just didn't play him. Godfather, it's a good game. Apparently, Bon Jovi's in it. So it's just like a reference to him. Yeah. Not a cameo. Oh, it feels a little tacky, doesn't it? Eh. How many people know that his real name is Bon Jovi and not Bon Jovi? Well, it sounds the same, and that's the problem. Yeah. If you're just listening to the dialogue. It's a pretty minor character, it seems like. Okay, true. <laughs> that continues my winning streak, despite... Well, hang on! ...ending on a sour... Well, hang on there, Buster. I've got one last supposedly true fact. Why'd you sneak in? That's worth five points. No. Yep. No. I will let worth you... Worth five points. I'll let you hit me with an extra fact, but five points Worth five points. points. Not, Trust me. Don't make me make a ten. I don't... 
Uh-oh. I don't... Well, let, let's hear it, I guess. He has a famous relative from New York, New York, who does things his way, but hey, that's life. What, what a... <laughs> <laughs> a roundabout way to say he's related to Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just want to make sure. I'm going to put that in as the fact. He's related to Frank Sinatra. What's the relation? How are they connected? Great uncle. Now, do you mean like grandfather's brother or just like a really good father's <laughs> brother? Grandfather's brother. Okay. Oh, interesting. That's pretty direct. Did they ever meet and interact with each other? No. In fact, Bon Jovi said that's one of his biggest regrets in life was not meeting him. Mm, that's, oh, I don't know how to feel about that. I feel like that would be a, a thing I would know more. So they weren't close. No. What, what about Bon Jovi's grandfather? Who's he that knows Frank Sinatra by virtue of being his brother? Uh, I don't know. His great uncle on his father's side. Great uncle on his father's side, you say? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I can't find it. Oh. Okay. I don't buy it. You don't buy it. I don't buy it. I don't think this one's true. Hmm. Locking in spin? Yeah, I think I'm going to lock in spin. Well, this is an unknown fact. Un <laughs> what? Unknown? Added to the spin it mystery department's to-do list. How do you mean unknown? Well, here's a whole article talking about how... He's his great uncle, but there's also a ton of articles that say that that's just a rumor, and there's no concrete evidence I can find anywhere outside of John Bon Jovi mentioning how much he admires him and some of his bandmates saying that they're related. Well, that feels untrue. I don't know. There's a lot of information. I mean, where did they get all the information about, you know, great uncle on his father's side? I don't know where all this information is coming from. I just can't find anywhere that concretely, like, there's a lot of mixed sources. If you, if you Google Bon Jovi famous relative, you'll get a bunch of stuff about Frank Sinatra. Well, think about it this way. Frank Sinatra's parents, like his father's last name is Sinatra. If this is on Bon Jovi's father's side, we know that his father's last name also is Bon Jovi because he's a junior. Mm -hmm. So that means his dad would also have to be named Bon Jovi, right? I guess. Which means that doesn't make sense. That that would mean that Frank Sinatra's dad's brother would have had to name his kid. But that means... I see what you're saying. I don't know. That means Frank Sinatra's brother would have to be named Bon Jovi. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't work. Well, sometimes the guy takes the girl's last name. I don't know. Maybe he changed it. I'll tell you what. Let's split this one two and a half points to two and a half points. I say we just leave it open. And if it ever is solved, that person gets the five points. I'll allow it to be worth five points because there's no answer. <laughs> but sure, I guess that means we have to solve it now. It's a race between you and I to solve it and figure out who gets the points. Yeah. So, you know, who won this week is unknown until that one's solved. No. <laughs> Whatever. I don't like that, but fine. An unknown winner this week. Were you planning? You were planning on that the whole time, having a surprise extra fact, weren't you? Yeah, had it here the whole time. Wow, dastardly. Dastardly. Oh, yeah, keep you on your toes. You never know what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do. That's true. Now, are we gonna get a yeah when you sign off, or are we gonna get two ASMEs? <laughs> well, I give you two yeahs when I came in, so I feel it's only appropriate to go. Hey, it's me. Hey, it's me. There you go. Thanks. Bye, Mixtaper. We just did that whole factor spin in reverse. Yeah, we really did. What do you know? I was so good on those first three. Yeah. Godfather messed me up again. <laughs> yeah. Mixtaper messed himself up with the Star Wars one. He needed to do a little more research, not just assume things. Yeah, I guess so. You know what they say about assuming? It makes a dastard out of you and me. <laughs> Yep, but not the mixtaper. He's always a dastard, no matter what. That's true. Well, let's talk about the album cover of Slippery When Wet. Let's. 
If you think it's unimpressive, so does everyone. Aww. It's true. It's true. Even the band has called this album cover simple and not very impressive. So, you know. Sad. It is sad. I kind of like it. You kind of like it. Well, good. Not everybody feels the same way you do, Bon Jovi. How about that? Yeah. The album cover features the words, Slippery When Wet, written in droplets of water on a plastic garbage bag. Which I love. You love it. The fact that it's a plastic trash bag. You love that? Why? I don't know. I just, I like the concept. Cool thing to do it on. Because you could have just done it on like a window. Like usually when you're writing stuff that's like in water, do it on like a window. Yeah. Actually, until I started researching for this album, I just assumed it was a window or a pane of glass. Yeah. But it's not. It's a trash bag. It, however, was not the original plan for the album art. You know, at first when the album was cowboy themed, they did that cowboy shoot, but... Then when they came up with the strip club inspired Slippery When Wet, their first shot at the album cover for that was a woman in a wet t-shirt. And it was a little edgy. So the label says, huh, maybe we don't do that. Maybe that image on the cover makes the album title imply some things. Oh, yeah. We don't want to imply. Oof. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sambora said, our label freaked out a bit when they saw what we'd done. They thought it would be banned by American stores. So we had to come up with something else fast. So the trash bag came to be. Actually, the original wet t-shirt cover is still the one that was used, I think, for the Japanese release of the album. Oh. (laughs) The album cover itself is like whatever, but the thing that I really hate about it, and I think one of the things that Bon Jovi himself disliked about it, was there's this ugly pink border around the outside of it. And it really just doesn't fit and feels like it doesn't belong. There is? Yeah, I guess I do kind of like this trash bag cover. Oh, I don't think I've ever... Uh, oh, on the on the wet t-shirt one. I was like... <laughs> no, not this one. I was really confused. I was like, am I looking at the wrong version? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let's get into it. We've got 10 tracks to talk about. 10 classics, some would say. And 10 not classics, others would say. Which one would you say? Tune in to find out. Ooh, a teaser. A little nugget of tease in episode 103. First up on the docket is Let It Rock. I prefer to let it roll. Okay. You can't let it roll. You got to let it go. Let it rock, let it go. There's no rolling in this song. I'll tell you, the organ intro gets me hyped up every time. It just feels so cool, like you're sitting in a concert, right? In an arena waiting for the show to start. It's so exciting. I think it's a great intro track. Like, you can practically hear the curtain rising for this awesome rock and roll album show that's about to start. Yeah. Yeah, and the song really wastes no time in telling us exactly what we can expect on the rest of the album with these giant Bon Jovi arena rock staple sing-alongable choruses and the woe-ohs. This is a woe-oh heavy album. Yeah, it is. Like, very, like, highly. This album, it's a woe-oh watch on this album. We're past the warning phase. They're here. Wait, did I do that backwards? I don't even remember. I never know. I can never remember either. It's a silly naming convention because it's like Tornado Watch. Go out and watch the tornado. Because like both of them make sense. Yeah. Warning, there might be a tornado. No, yeah. I think warning is like, hey, a tornado is here. It's here and you are being warned. Yeah. And a watch is like, hey, watch out. Look at the Watch those clouds. Yeah. They, they might produce a tornado. Yeah. Watch out for tornadoes. That makes sense. Well, this is a woe warning. We're past the woe watch. Isn't there also like a tornado advisory? Like what? What's the what, where does that come in? No, I I think an advisory is on the other side before before watch. watch. You think it goes advisory watch 
Warning. Advisory. This is off topic. Anyway, advisory is like conditions may be right today to produce a tornado. Watch is like conditions are right to produce a tornado. And warning is like conditions have been met and tornado has been produced. Let it rock. Oh, no. Actually, an advisory. So it starts out as a watch and a watch will normally be upgraded to either a warning or an advisory, which it happens when it indicates an 80% or greater possibility of occurrence. So that's when a watch gets upgraded, when it gets above the 80% threshold. Okay. A warning indicates that the conditions pose a threat to life or property and that travel will become difficult or impossible. An advisory indicates conditions pose a significant inconvenience and if caution is not exercised could lead to situations that may threaten life and or property. So an advisory is like a lesser degree of a warning. It's like it's like hey, you know, whatever's going on is is a little dangerous, just be careful. And then a warning's like what are you doing? Like this should be your number one priority. Okay. Advisory sounds really unconcerned. <laughs> Yeah. Like, how should we advise you to behave? We advise you to behave as if tornadoes are around. That's silly. Yeah. Anyway, uh. Let It Rock is so cool. Listen to his voice, you know? He's come a long way since the R2-D2 Christmas album. <laughs> his range, his intensity, the power behind his vocals are all really impressive. I want a new version of the R2-D2 Christmas song, but with this level of intensity and power. With Woe-Oh's and Arena Bon Jovi screaming at you? Yeah. Yes. I'd love that. The chorus is pretty simple. Let it rock. Let it go. You can't stop a fire burning out of control. So there's not a ton of meat to dig into lyrically. But once again, it's built for large audiences, easy sing-alongs, like concert moments, you know? I don't think it's anything revolutionary musically, but it's an exceptionally fun track. It's a great intro to Bon Jovi. If you've never heard Bon Jovi before and you put this album on and let it rock plays, like you'll know right away whether you'll like Bon Jovi or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a good litmus test. And if you decide you do like Bon Jovi and move on to track two, oh boy, are you about to be impressed? Because you give love a bad name is up next. Yeah, You Give Love a Bad Name was Desmond Child's first cut on the record. And as it turns out, I didn't know this, it's recycled. He already had this chorus. He used the very same melody, well, very similar, very, very similar melody, in Bonnie Tyler's song, If You Were a Woman and I Was a Man. Oh. Yeah, he didn't think that song performed as well as it should have or could have on the charts. And so he said, you know what? Let's give it a second go. Let's try it again. So he comes to the band. He says, here's this melody. I've got a cool title. You know, I like the title, You Give Love a Bad Name, and I've got this melody from this Bonnie Tyler hit. The band says, you know, that's pretty cool. You Give Love a Bad Name, I like that title. But we also have this song from our first album that's called Shot Through the Heart. We still really love that title. Like, we already released the song, Shot Through the Heart. But it's like such a cool title, right? And Desmond Child goes, yeah, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> so they put them together. Man, it's like I'm there. <laughs> and so we get You Give Love a Bad Name, where the chorus is Shot Through the Heart. It's a recycled... It's two recycles that come together to make a new thing. Dude, it's a litter critter. It's a litter critter! Whoa! <laughs> right? They took both these things that they put out and went, ah... It wasn't as good as we thought it maybe could be. Let's stick them together. Let's lift these two elements of previous songs, put them together in a fun new way. That's awesome. And maybe we'll win a ribbon at the Litter Critter competition. 
Also, since litter critters aren't a universal thing, I guess maybe that's just an us. We should clarify. Like, when we were elementary school students, you know, to encourage recycling. Yeah, you had to, like, recycle stuff to make animals. Yeah, you, you like, make crafts out of trash and then bring them in and show them off. To look like animals. Yeah, to look like critters. Yeah. It's a really good way to turn your trash into trash that you don't want to throw away. And then didn't we, like, do a canned food drive to vote on a winner? Wasn't that a thing? At least once. I think maybe. I don't know. Well, like once everybody submitted their litter critters, then it was like you voted for what your favorite was by donating canned food. Yeah, that really feels like pressure on the parents. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not in third grade out here buying canned food. I'm saying, Mom, I need 18 cans of green beans to vote for my chameleon. Green beans for this giraffe. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it's a really cool giraffe. It's made of trash. And she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I think you're right. Anyway, that's Litter Critters. That's a, that's a brief aside. Shot through the heart, and you're to blame. You give love a bad name. What a great song to listen to. I really enjoy it. I love it. Honestly, I can really hear it at the beginning of a hype mix or something, you know? Yeah. Like cruising in a limo to a series of parties. You really want a playlist that's all rise, all hype songs, and I'd start it with this. This was the album's first single, and it turned into Bon Jovi's first number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100. In 2009, VH1 named it the 20th greatest hard rock song of all time, which is probably a pretty stiff top 20 to crack into. Yeah. I love the metaphor here, right? This girl is dangerous. She's volatile. She's a loaded gun. Once she shot you through the heart, the damage is done. Like, there's no coming back from that. I feel like that's usually the case. Not entirely, but yes, it definitely... I feel like, I feel like most people who are shot through the heart, they're pretty much done for. I would argue that's probably true, statistically, most of the time, <laughs> which is why it's a cool metaphor. And these verses are incredibly tight, right? Every line makes the picture a little bit clearer, and, and nothing feels really forced. Even when they decide to reverse the syntax for the sake of a rhyme, right? Saying... An angel's smile is what you sell. Doesn't necessarily feel like it's wedged in there to make the rhyme work. Yeah. Also, certified poetry. Chains of love got a hold on me. When passion's a prison, you can't break free. I love that. Certified poetry all the way. 100%. 100%. And, I mean, how about that guitar solo? Richie Sambora takes it to town on You Give Love a Bad Name and Beyond. I think the song rocks hard. It's a deserving song in that top 20 rock tracks great follow-up to let it rock you know we're fully in the zone at this point yeah <laughs> and if at the beginning you decided you still like bon jovi and kept listening through you give love a bad name and now you're hooked then you hit living on a prayer yeah all rise these first three all rise hit after hit after hit it's wild living on a prayer is obviously another one of the band's all-time greats it's probably the song almost everyone thinks of when you say bon jovi it's kind of become synonymous with them and i think in some ways it perfectly encapsulates their style and their sound you know there's just a lot of what makes the band bon jovi in this song yeah do you remember the first time you heard this song no I was going to say, me either. That's how ever-present it is. Like, it feels like a song I've just known indefinitely, you know, like like forever back. That's kind of wild. Yeah. It was another one of Slippery's singles, and it also peaked at number one. It ended up being the 10th biggest song of 1987, and it almost didn't exist. Cue shocked gasp. <gasps> Thank you. Yeah. Almost wasn't a thing. They recorded the song. They gave it the good old college try in the demo. John listens to it. He's not sold. He doesn't love it. He thought it was a bit, quote, sentimental and didn't fit with the rest of the tracks. He thought it was 
too much of a stick out like a sore thumb from the rest of the album, and he was going to cut it all together. But apparently, according to stories from Desmond Child, he and Richie Sambora literally got down on their knees and like half-jokingly begged John to let the song stay. Aww. They said, please, we love it. It's so good. It's got so much potential. And obviously he acquiesced. And we got it here. Yes, but he didn't have to since he was the boss. He was the boss, but they knew it would be a hit from the start, which is really cool. I don't know how he didn't see it. I don't either, man. Because I always wonder, I've probably mentioned it before, if people recording songs like this know that they're going to be like generational hits when they're doing it, you know? Yeah. Like, there's no way people like Fleetwood Mac didn't sit down and record rumors and think, eh, this one's all right. You know what I mean? I feel like they were like, this is really good. Or when the Beatles put out Abbey Road, you know, when when they Paul sat down and played Let It Be, I really feel like he might have had a sense of what the song would turn into. But I guess you just don't know. Bon Jovi's proof here that you just don't know. You just don't know what people are going to like is the problem. Yeah, what's going to catch? I'm sure for every one that they were like, yeah, this is one. There was also one that were like, this is one, and then it flopped, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like they probably didn't trust their radar. They were probably hopeful. They were probably like, I think this might be one. But can you ever really be certain after when you thought it was one flopped? No, unless you have a lot of money and buy it all yourself. True. Then you can be certain. John says that the song deals with the way that two kids, Tommy and Gina, face life struggles and how their love and ambitions get them through the hard times. It's working class and it's real. He says, I wanted to incorporate the movie element and tell a story about people I knew. So instead of doing what I did on Runaway, where the girl didn't have a name, I gave them names, which gave them an identity. Tommy and Gina aren't two specific people. They represent a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's cool about the song. It's the perspective of it. It's the the way that these two symbolize like an entire subset of people. And that's what makes it so relatable. It's like Brenda and Eddie from Scenes from Italian Restaurant with Billy Joel going back to episode one. That's so correct. I didn't even think about that. Good connection. You're welcome. Right. Giving them names and making them people, uh, you know, that makes it feel like they could be our best friend or like us, you know, it's like some somebody that puts us in the context of the story in a lot more grounded way. This is the first time in Bon Jovi's discography that Tommy and Gina come up, but they are both explicitly mentioned both in It's My Life and 99 in the Shade on later albums by name, like he calls out these two. And while they don't come up by name, Bon Jovi says Born to Be My Baby on their New Jersey record is meant to symbolize the couple's happy ending. So I think it's interesting that their story starts with Living on a Prayer, where they have names and are very defined characters. And then they sneak in the ending of the story on a song where they don't have names and they're not deliberately identified. That's wild. Yeah. And as of this year, 2023, the music video is Bon Jovi's second video to earn more than a billion YouTube views. I don't know what the first is, but I don't know how Living on a Prayer wasn't the first. I mean, to be honest, I love it. We've had a really good start here. Two of the album's strongest songs and two of Bon Jovi's strongest songs of all time are in the first three here. Mm -hmm. And then we hit Social Disease, track number four. This is the second song with this title that we've talked about. The first time we talked about A Social Disease was from Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road about a failing alcoholic. What one did you like better? I'm going to say this one because we're 
the people listening are listening to us talk about this one. Oh, okay. Well, I <laughs> if we were talking about the other one, I'd say the other one. See, I'm going to play both sides so that no matter what, what I always win. I gotcha. Well, pretend no one's listening and I'll cut this part out. Which one did you really like better? Oh, not this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of, I think you're an Elton John guy. He's your nine. I mean, I'm also a big Bon Jovi fan, just not of this one. That's true. Fair. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. Elton's is about this alcoholic antisocialite. Bon Jovi's is about love. Love is a social disease. Kind of flipping the typical narrative of love being a good thing on its head. Like they also did in You Give Love a Bad Name. Yeah. They once again give love a bad name by deeming it a social disease. It's an interesting song lyrically. The first verse, he talks about all these places you can find love. On TV, in the news. And for a minute, it threw me off. I was like, at Baskin Robbins? Because he talks about how it comes in 32 flavors. I was like, (laughs) isn't that what Baskin Robbins advertises? But no, it's not. Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors. Oh, wow. Yeah, so who has 32 flavors? What's the other flavor that love comes in? And why isn't it at Baskin Robbins? Dr. Pepper. No, Dr. Pepper's 23. Oh. They don't even have as many flavors as Baskin Robbins. Oh. I don't know what has 32 flavors. Apparently 32 flavors is a song written and performed by Annie DeFranco. Yeah, maybe you can find it in the song 32 flavors, I guess. The song appears on the sixth studio album, Not a Pretty Girl, released in 1995. Well, but that, did you say 19, what, 95? Yeah. Well, that's so far after this. Oh, also, apparently there's a Justice League Unlimited season three, episode nine episode called Grudge Match. Where someone goes, aha, as I suspected, 32 flavors. Uh, Talking about Baskin Robbins and the mysterious 32nd flavor. Then it's never been released to the general public for some sinister reason. So you think, hold on, so your theory, (laughs) you're postulating right now that Bon Jovi's 32 flavors here is a reference to a future unreleased episode of the Justice League. No, absolutely not. That's That'd be ridiculous. What I'm postulating is that Bon Jovi knew then what the Justice League would uncover in the future. It is about Baskin Robbins and their 32 flavors and that the 32nd flavor has just never been released to the public for sinister reasons. Mm, maybe the 32nd reason is love. Uh? That's the extra flavor. Anyway, I just couldn't really figure that one out. It's a strange lyric. He talks about how you can find love in the White House and the alleys and in music and rock and roll and all these places. It's everywhere and it's powerful, but it's dangerous. And there's some good lines in there. I don't mean to say it's all 32 flavors bad, but where you look, you can find it. Try to run, but you're always behind it. Like, that's cool. You can always find love, but you can never really catch it. You're always chasing it and pursuing it. Put this song on a different album, and I think it becomes more of a standout track. But Social Disease on this album, sandwiched between such great hits, it just falls flat and ends up being forgettable. I think part of the reason Social Disease doesn't land right is the big brass hits in there that kind of take this in a weird direction. It's kind of a gamble that doesn't totally pay off, and it's a really new texture for the record that doesn't quite fit in with the rest of it. I think Aerosmith can do it, and it works fine. You know, a lot of their songs are brass heavy, but Bon Jovi's just got a different style that I don't think the brass is helping. But we make it through the middle of the sandwich, right? Social disease. And we get back to the hits with Wanted, Dead, or Alive. Yeah. It's the album's third single. Like I said, it was nearly the title track. And it peaked at number seven on the charts. It is the one 
that made Slippery When Wet the very first glam metal album to crack the top 100 with three different singles. They go on to, you know, break that record again, but for now, this one broke the record for the first time. The lyrics of this song are really good. They're actually very personal and real to the band. They translate the experience of being a rock star into this really kind of dark cowboy narrative. They said it was really easy to write because they live it daily. And I guess, you know, I was surprised at them winning country music awards. But if you listen to this song, I can kind of hear it. Kind of hear the beginnings of a Western. Yeah. Fun fact about this song. Hit me. Mr. Knows It All About Bon Jovi. Also on Guitar Hero 3, Legends of Rock. Oh, (laughs) just like everything Santana did. Yeah, thought that was interesting. Black Magic Woman. That is interesting. I guess we're in a real Guitar Hero adjacent phase right now. <laughs> I love the opening verse. Also, wasn't this song the theme song for Deadliest Catch? What? Wasn't? I don't know. Never watched Deadliest Catch. My mom used to watch Deadliest Catch, and I swear their theme song was Wanted Dead or Alive. It is. Yeah, this is the Deadliest Catch theme song, I guess. Nailed it. <laughs> but don't you like... That's kind of a bad theme song. A lot of fish aren't wanted dead or alive. They get thrown back. And also, it doesn't make any sense. It's not about fishing. It's a cowboy song. Yeah, but it's like, you know, the show's portrayed as like, you know, there's one of the like hardest jobs, you know. They're out there in these harsh conditions. Danger fishing. Yeah, danger fishing, you know, danger crabbing. Those crabs are wanted, whether you're dead or alive. Oh, you are the one that might die, not the crabs. I think so. Also, spoiler alert, I think most of the crabs die. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think they bring many crabs back alive. They don't make it through the process. Well, fishing and crabbing, catching deadly things aside, I love the opening verse because we immediately get this sense that they've been where they are for a really, really long time. This slow melody and these wistful lyrics, it's all the same. Every day it seems we're wasting away. You can practically feel the western sun making heat waves over the desert when you listen to the instrumentals. Like, it's a great way to set a mood. Very transportive. And, of course, the point of it is, right, they're rock stars now. The band is wanted, dead or alive. They're in demand, whether they're able to keep going or not. Yeah. People want their music. They want to see them. They want to meet them. Even if it's draining them to and taking them to the brink of, like, metaphorical death. Like, they're on the edge. The chorus is so simple. I'm a cowboy on a steel horse I ride. I'm wanted, dead or alive. There's not much to it, but one of the things I love about it is that the very last, you know, wanted, dead or alive, how they change chords on every syllable of dead or alive. Yeah, it's good. I know, it keeps the song moving. I think the second verse on this song is one of the album's absolute strongest. Sometimes I sleep, sometimes it's not for days. The people I meet always go their separate ways. Sometimes you tell the day by the bottle that you drink, and times when you're alone, all you do is think. Like the loneliness, the tedium, all of that's really evident. Because it puts us just right in the saddle with him. We're walking a mile in his boots and stirrups and cowboy things. Like cap it off with another of the album's strongest guitar solos. And you got a certified hit here. And I don't think it was maybe as popular, but I do think I like it a tad more than Living on a Prayer. How dare you? I don't know. Well, Living on a Prayer feels a little bit overplayed by now. And the song kind of boasts a lot more musical complexity. And why is it overplayed? Because it was more popular and because people liked it better. Yeah, people like it better. I'm saying I think I like Wanted Dead or Alive better. And that's why you're not their champion. It's true, I'm not. I'll tell you what. If you preferred Living on a Prayer to Wanted Dead or Alive, raise your hands. We'll count. Okay, you're right. I counted. You you win. <laughs> but purely coincidental, Raise Your Hands is the next track on the album. There is. I think this song really brings us back into the hype after this heavy, 
incredibly realistic and draining story of a song, this one pumps the energy right back up. And actually, I think this may be the most strictly pump-up song on the entire record. You know, You Give Love a Bad Name musically pumps us up, but it has a good, like, lyrical message behind it. Raise Your Hands is just raw, unbridled fun. Did you have fun listening to this one? Yes. Spoken like someone who really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, no, this one's all right. Yes. You're not in court. <laughs> all right. Just all right? Really? Uh, compared to the knockouts on this album. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, true. You know, we were on an all rise and social disease in this. This one's not as bad as social disease oh. at all, but it is a bit of a, you know, it's not It's not really a rise, I would say. I'd say it's like a stagnation at best. We, we've plateaued, in my opinion. I disagree. Well, I think... I think in the energy level, this is a rise from One and Dead or Alive, which is comparatively energy and mood-wise, that's the dip, even though in quality... I don't know, One and Dead and Alive is intense. It's intense. Yeah, that's true. And quality is still a rise. But I guess it just depends on your metrics. Yeah, I mean, Raise Your Hands is good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, like, saying it's a bad song. I'm just... Okay. It just didn't blow you away. I don't know. I don't know what I want to say. Fair enough. It's on one of my rock playlists. Yeah. But, like, if you maybe pick between this and any of the five tracks that came before it except Social Disease, I think I'd pick those five tracks. <laughs> yeah. I like it a lot. I don't know. That pre-chorus to me is one of the most memorable pre-choruses Bon Jovi's ever made, I think. You're under the gun, out on the run, gonna set the night on fire. Just the way that it whaps you in the face with its, like, tempo variation, you know? Not even tempo. Just, like, the time signature. The beats that that hits is different than the rest of the verse. It's not as straightforward, and I really enjoy that. I don't know. It's powerful, and then it hard cuts all the way out with a little stutter step of the drums at the end of the pre-chorus so that the chorus just gets this chance to explode. And, you know, once again, it's another chorus that's just built for audience participation. Scream it out, sing along, raise your hands. Because it's that call and response thing, right? Really, all that Bon Jovi sings himself are when you want to let it go, you want to let a feeling show. Like, he gets the interjections, but really the audience, the chorus, is meant to sing raise your hands along with him in response to what he's saying. And he closes the song by shouting out some cities, including their hometown, Sayreville, New Jersey. Nice little tribute. So you thought we're stagnant, right, at Raise Your Hands? You thought that was a barely pushing a continuation of things? I guess here's the way I'll put it. L- let it rock, Give you give love a bad name, living on a prayer, all rise, right? Social disease dips back down. Right. Then Wanted Dead or Alive starts to rise again. And between yeah. it and Raise Your Hands, we're back where to the peak we had risen to before. Okay. We haven't gone above. We haven't hit a new rise. Sure. Well, how does Without Love grab you? I think it's the same. I think Raise Your Hands and Without Love, I think we're just now kind of going in a straight line. You know, no rise. No rise. I would say Without Love is a little more of a dip. No, I like Without Love. Really? It's interesting. It's it's a lot more keyboard-driven than some of the other songs, which makes it an interesting kind of mix-up. Yeah, and that's why you hate it, because you're the guitar lover. No, I don't hate it. I don't know. I, I, it's a bizarre song, because on paper, there's really no reason it shouldn't hold up. But it just doesn't to me. I, I think it's the melody. To listen to the melody, there's not much to latch onto. It's a bit jumpy with the chord progression, and until you get to the chorus, the melody feels forgettable. I can't remember the verses of Without Love until I'm listening to it. The chorus is so good, though. Yeah, it's true. And it's got a good message. It's, it's another Desmond Child song. 
it feels like the first Desmond Child miss to me. And actually, I'll call it the only Desmond Child miss on this album. I don't think it was a miss, but... A misses? <laughs> it wasn't like a knockout hit, but... I wouldn't call it a miss. Eh. Like I don't want it. I don't want it kicked off the album. No, no, by no means. Maybe it's a foul ball. Oh, foul ball. Okay, I like that. It's maybe just a single base instead of a grand slam. All right, put it in baseball terms. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying. L- listen, this album will be nothing without without love. I'll give you. I'll give you. Without love is a single base hitter at best. Maybe a walk. I'm doing the double negative thing again. <laughs> Very fair. I don't know. Just plus from an instrumental standpoint, it feels a little flat. I just listening to it. I don't get the sense that they're into it as much as they are when they play let it rock or bad medicine no i disagree you just you think they're equally into it when they play without love as bad medicine or you give love a bad name i know bad medicine's on a different album i just like it a lot and i'm gonna keep referencing it i was very confused why all of a sudden you were referencing that it's not the first time i've done it today i know I keep coming back to it bad medicine's what i need i don't know i i, I the way they hit the chorus they're definitely into the same uh, without love so good I'm just not feeling it. This track for me would be in my bottom two, if not the very bottom from this record. Wow. I know. I know. I'll give you a guess what the other bottom two is. The one fighting. Social disease? It's social disease. And you think social disease is better than this? Wow. Okay. They're fighting. They're fighting it out for the bottom. Social disease has a punch that this one doesn't. This one has a jerk that social disease doesn't. So it just depends. I'll be honest with you. I like without love better than I like I'd die for you. Really? I'm was not going to say that at all. As much as the Synthi Keys let me down in Without Love, I think they dominate I'd Die For You. Like, holy 80s, you know? They have that classic training montage sound to them. It absolutely reminds me of like any training montage in a movie or TV show ever. That's the kind of song. It feels like it's, yeah, lifted from like Rocky, Karate Kid. This whole song could be just a training montage song. Well, that's nothing wrong with that. That's that's a fun one. No, no, I think that's great. And I'm not saying I'd Die For You is a bad song. I'm just saying I like Without Love more. I don't. I love the way that they build the guitar part around that persistent synth. Like it's going the whole time and the guitar is like filled in around it. It's really well crafted. And I love the way that you can feel the song build into itself on each pass through the intro. And it's interesting too because when they come to the verse, they break it back down and build it back up the exact same way. Like they show you their entire hand in the intro and then repeat it in the verse. I think the parallelism is nice. And I honestly would say I Die For You is probably one of the most underrated songs on the album it maybe is a little more dated than the grand slam all rise big hits but it holds its own and it does feel like they have fun with it regardless so i think in that sense it claims a lot of the energy that without love was lacking at the very least i think it's an improvement over without love i guess i i feel like we've been on a bit of a like i said a plateau right where like to me the intensity level the the sound the sound it, it all sounds very it's too similar it makes me feel like we haven't moved in a way I want us to and without love mm. because it sounds different and it has that different style to it. Even if it's not actually moving us on like an all rise sort of scale, it feels different. And so it stands out to me. It, like, it does. It breaks things up for me in a way that makes it so I don't get tired of the album by it sounding too similar. Maybe that's why I'm liking it so much. I'll give you that I Die For You is basically just raise your hands with keyboards. Yeah. And so without love gives you a nice break between 
between the two of them. Okay, that's true. Especially since Raise Your Hands and I'll Die For You are like longer than four minute songs. <laughs> yeah, and they do carry on a bit. So it's a lot. Okay, you talked me into it. I do think Social Disease is my least favorite. And I'll give Without Love the, the second to last. All right. You didn't talk me into much, but you solidified that. Fair enough. Well, if you want something that mixes up the sound of the album a lot. Yeah. Boy, do I have a power ballad for you. We're rising. We're rising, baby. It's a slow rise, (laughs) but we're rising. Never Say Goodbye is the next to last track. And while I think it's the album's slowest point, it's definitely not the least energetic. And honestly, it is probably one of the most powerful tracks on the record. It's got a lot of intensity. It does. It's reminiscent of like a Glory Days type song. You know, hold on to the past, never say goodbye to the memories, the places and the experiences. Yeah, this is the kind of song that like the protagonist is like walking down the road after their car broke down and they're like thinking about all the things they messed up throughout the rest of the movie and they break out into a run partway through it. What movies are you watching? But the run is part of a training montage for their marathon. (laughs) No. And then we go back to I Die For You. He's trying to like run home, you know? Oh, to get back. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I guess. I don't I can't picture a scenario when that happens in a movie. They, they they've hit that rock bottom that makes them realize everything that they've been doing wrong and how their priorities were in the wrong place and all that. And it could be their car breaking down, it could be a series of events that, you know, lead them to their rock bottom. It, it could be a lot of stuff. But they've hit the rock bottom, they realize their mistakes, and now they're trying to get back home to fix them before it's too late. Never say goodbye. Never say goodbye. I like it a lot. What a good song. Also, yeah, yeah, it's all about all the good that we can still extract from our past experiences, Mm -hmm. even though they don't exist anymore. Mostly lyrically, this seems like flashbacks to high school, but not in a ham-handed way like Good Charlotte and NSYNC did that were just terrible. This one's actually good. This is the right way to do it. Although I do have to say that I always have to laugh at the line, I held you in my arms so strong. That feels reachy and a little too self-congratulatory. Like, that's not a thing you'd ever really express to someone, is it? Like, remember when I held you in my arms so strong? Yeah, he's like, think about my muscles. Remember how many muscles I had back in the day? Wow. That was so cool. That's the only line that really just kind of tickles me every time. For me, the instrumental hook of Never Say Goodbye is is wicked powerful. Even though it's like two notes, it just stays with you for a long time and instantly comes back to mind when someone mentions this song. I think that's one of the reasons it's so good and why it's gone down as like a quintessential arena rock power ballad. It's just that big fat guitar hook instrumentally i think the song's only misstep are those random synth strings they come out of nowhere just little flashes of them nope delete just get rid of them otherwise awesome song it's up there with the best of the bon jovi songs the mixtapers version of this would be never say yeah <laughs> never say yeah i love that and the album ends with wild in the streets track 10 i cannot believe wild in the streets is not a bigger hit it's a great album closer it's another song that feels like a classic curtain call to me you know let it rock has that organ and it opens the album like pulls the curtain up on this incredible arena show never say goodbye is like the closing song of the night you know after the encore like 
It's the one we're ending the show with. And then Wild in the Streets is the song that's playing as the band gets to take their bows. You know, the curtain falls. Everyone's having a great time. It's a party. I love it. Wild in the Streets is so good. And also competing for that title of underrated song for me. What'd you think? That drum feels like it was pulled out of our training montage. Just a bump, 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 bump. It is. It feels like he got lost on his way to the training montage and ended up in this song. You're right. Honestly, Never Say Goodbye is like the slowest part of the album or one of the most consistently slow songs on the album. Wild in the Streets, I think, maybe is the fastest. Yeah. And it's so interesting that they're back-to-back like this. But it like, doesn't have the intensity, in my opinion. It's fast, but not intense. Not in the same way that Never Say Goodbye is intense or... Well, not just not in the same way that even, like, you give love a bad name or living on a prayer. You know, like, living on a prayer, it feels like he's singing his throat out, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. And then on Wild in the Street, they're, like, just going at it, you know? They're just, like, singing fast. It doesn't have that raw power to it that some of the other tracks do. Yeah, I can get behind that. I agree with that. But that's, I think, part of what makes it such a good, like, curtain call feeling song. You wouldn't sing your heart out in a curtain call. Not that that's an excuse to not do it here, but that's the effect they end up with. And it's another song where Bon Jovi decides to name his characters. We follow Joey through this sacred part of town, through the tame part of town, sneaking out through the window to get wild in the streets, you know? I like it. And I love the way that when he hits that chorus, he gets to hold out wild. As we called it for Coheed and Cambria, it's the pinkle sprinkle on the cosmic brownie of the song, you know? (laughs) That's a reference I haven't heard in a while. I know. It's powerful and it's cathartic. And yet again, it's another moment built for audience participation. Absolutely perfect for it. Like I can practically hear an arena full of people screaming right along with him as I listen to this on the recording. I just love it. And while the guitar solo at the end of the song isn't necessarily as memorable or as iconic as some of the others here, it's absolutely the most fun and maybe the most technically impressive out of all of them. So there's a lot here that I think gets overshadowed by the rest of Slippery When Wet. That's all I've got. I guess it's time for us to never say goodbye and get into Final Spin. Yeah. I like this record. Let me give you some scores. I don't know. I just, it packs a lot of punch. And like all the critics say, I think Slippery When Wet really does do a great job at bridging the gap between glam metal and pop. Like it walks a fine line where these songs rock hard, but are also almost totally accessible to the audience. Like even if you don't like glam rock or arena rock, you'll find a reason to like something on this record. There's something here for you. I love all the moments for audience participation. I've never seen Bon Jovi live, but boy, would I love to. It's so fun. I love the way they flip these standard lyrical concepts on their head. There's really no mushy love songs here, but these ones are exciting. They're hopeful. They're anthemic. They tell a story. It's pretty solid, if even a little samey track to track on the production side. And beyond the big hits, I think it gets a little bit iffy. But the beautiful thing about it is that most of the album is the big hits, you know? Like this album, it feels like if you're going to know Bon Jovi, you have to know almost every song on this album, which is super impressive. It's dense. There's a lot of important stuff here. For me, music gets an 86. It's great. Lyrically, 79. It's mostly a party anthem record. I can acknowledge that, but it has its moments to shine. Instruments of production, 82. Once again, smidge, samey, but solid. And the overall vibe, 85. Giving it an 84.3 overall, which puts it at number 296. And right below, the Queen Dua Lipa. Wow. Yeah. Right below the Queen. Mm Mm-hmm. 
84.3. I think it's a great record. Yeah. And I was torn between this one and New Jersey. I couldn't quite figure out which one to pull the trigger on. But Living on a Prayer, You Give Love a Bad Name, One and Dead or Alive. I mean, they really sold me hard on this one. So That's fair. But again, New Jersey, sister album, absolutely worth your while as well. Equally so. So that's me. How about you? As for me, I also like this one. Like I said up front, my only problem with it was that it didn't have all my favorite songs. Only problem. Yeah, wait, what are your other favorite Bon Jovi songs that weren't on this album? Surprise off album top three. Oh, off album top three. Let's go. Well, one I'm a big fan of always. Okay. I'll Be There For You is pretty good. It is. Runaway. Eh. It's not eh, like it's mid. It's good. It's just I don't know if I'd be in my top three. Yeah, yeah, this is just my top three off album, not necessarily my top three of all time. Right. I like Bed of Roses. That's good. Never Say Goodbye is pretty good. What did you say? Never Say Goodbye. Wait, is that that one's on? <laughs> that's here. your on album top three. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's on the album top three. Sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, I guess hit me with your on album top three. Whoops. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> 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 yeah, my on album top three in album order. You give love a bad name. Mm. Living on a prayer. Nice. Wanted dead or alive. Mm-hmm. And Connor will mention because I should get that again this week. I'll allow it. Not because you already spoiled it or anything. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of will mention, uh, never say goodbye. I'm surprised that didn't make it in your top three outright. It's just hard to beat out the three that made it. I suppose so. That makes sense. As for my score, score. this one's getting an unsurprising nine Whoa. litter critters out of ten. Nine is actually not totally unsurprising. This one felt like an eight to me for you. It's a nine. <laughs> it's a nine, I guess. Yeah, unsurprising. Nine litter critters. Everyone, wait. Everyone bring in canned food for the food drive and tell us which of Connor's nines <laughs> should be best. Yes. Like where in his nines should this go? And if you're wondering where to submit your food for the food drive, you know. Do you? I was just trying to do the same thing as the, like, he's back. He, oh, he will return with cans for the litter critter drive. As for where, it goes in my nines. Yeah, I know that. Oh, well, if you know. No, no, it's just the way you said it. As for where, comma, it goes in my nines, exclamation point. Oh. <laughs> I was like, yes. It's gonna go. I'm guessing around songs in the key of life and rumors. Is that you guessing that because that's where my mouse clicked? <laughs> it's definitely because where I see your cursor. <laughs> but am I right? Uh, you're close. It's gonna go right below Crazy Love by Michael Bublé. Whoa, that's a couple higher than that. Yeah. Below Crazy Love. That was your pick, too. Yeah. So, wow. And that beats out the great Illinois history lesson from Sufjan Stevens. Sure does. So that's a really solid nine. Pretty solid nine. Could have been an even higher nine if some of my other favorite songs had been on it instead of others. That's true. That's true. But we got what we got. Got what you got. And it is what it is. As for playlist picks, what are we thinking? Mm. I think I'm just going to lock in uh, Shot Through the Heart and let you decide what to do. (laughs) Shot Through the Heart from Bon Jovi 1, their (laughs) self-titled debut album. Yep, that's it. That's it. Which one couldn't you stop referencing? Bad Medicine. Yeah, we'll take Bad Medicine (laughs) and Shot Shot Through through the Heart. heart Bad Medicine. (laughs) Yeah. But no, I'll take Living on... uh, uh, You Give Love a Bad Name. Okay. Sounds like you wanted to take Living on a Prayer for a minute. Well, I'm hoping that's what you take, but I'm taking You Give Love a Bad Name. I'm taking Social Disease. Okay. If you can live with yourself. No, I can't. <laughs> I am torn, though. I 
I know Living on a Prayer is like the pick, but I kind of want to pivot to like Never Say Goodbye. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I think it might be. Let's do that. Yeah, it feels like a, a good ballad, you know, really yeah. strong power ballad with a lot of emotion, you know, intensity, like you said. I like it. I do too. I think that's a good combo. All right, there it is. And with that, I think we're done. I think we're almost done. We still have to tell people to check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at SpinItPod and on Instagram at SpinItPodOfficial. Yeah, do all the stuff. Do all the likes and the comments and the, all the stuff. It helps us It helps us grow and let us know that you like us. It does. And you can find our website, www.spinitpod.com, with our special 100th episode, two-year anniversary tab still rolling. And share the podcast with your friends. Tell a friend who thinks ice is wet about this episode. Yeah. And, and as always, as always keep, keep spinning. spinning. Ice is definitely dry. Dry ice is dry. Ice is dry, and as it melts, it gets it becomes wet because there's now water on it Ugh. because it's melted. But if you touch ice, it, yeah, if you touch it like while it's in the freezer and completely solid, it's slippery but still dry. It's true, and I guess the part of the ice that would make your hand feel wet is from the heat your hand sends to the ice. It's entropy, which it melts it into water and gets it on your finger. The ice itself is dry. So your finger is wet and then slippery, yeah. but the ice is dry and slippery. Yeah. But you leave the water from your finger, like not all of it comes with your finger. No, some so, of it stays on the ice, which then means that the water on the ice makes the ice slippery and wet makes the ice wet but the ice is already slippery when dry yeah well yeah it can be slippery under multiple conditions we need to make a stickier ice ooh sticky ice I like it ew